0: Welcome back to another episode of the Royals Farm Report Podcast. My name is Joel Penfield, as always, joined by Alex Duval. How's it going, man? Joel,
1: I am fantastic. Enjoying my last week, of uh, summer break here before teachers go back to work next week. Um, breaking down some of this film from Brady Singer, Chris Bubich, earlier today. So kind of uh, relaxing my last week of summer here and ready to go back to work uh, in here in seven days.
0: Yeah, so I, I start a new job full-time over here next Monday. I pretty much got the week off from work this week to kind of just relax and uh, transition a little bit into this, this new role that I'm taking. My wife starts up uh, school here uh, next Monday at uh, her elementary school and then got a baby coming in about six weeks. So it is – time is time is moving real quick, man. Man, that seems
1: so – like I remember uh, – I guess, man, it, the, the whole pandemic has just made feel like time has – has either sped up or slowed down depending on the day of the week i guess and man, i remember when you told us you were gonna you know first when you found out you're having a baby it seems like those what six seven eight months have just absolutely flown by since you told us and man, I'm i'm happy for you i'm excited for you so hopefully we can um you know squeeze through here with everybody healthy so you can get that baby out
0: yeah i know it's uh, and he'll be born right around the middle of the end of september so he'll be He'll be born right as the, the hunt for October is starting. Uh, I'll be able to sit there and uh, read off all the stats uh, and everything watching the playoffs, you know, holding them late at night. So it'll be it'll be good. And I even have a, a binder full of uh, baseball cards from this year, you know, you know, a bunch of different guys uh, just to have for the year he was born. I thought it would be kind of cool. That's awesome, man. No trout pulls, though. I was kind of bummed out of the two, you know, the couple hundred cards that I didn't get. I didn't get my trout. Kind of bummed about that one.
1: Which means you got to keep buying more cards. That's a, that's a pretty good excuse, honey. I have to get the Mike Trout card. If I don't get the <laughs> exactly. Mike Trout card. What am I? What are we supposed to do? I thought it was like a pretty good yeah. built-in excuse to me.
0: Yeah, I thought about making my own because my wife has all like the little baby books and stuff to read to him late at night. And I thought about just making my own like paper ones and just say Mike Trout's the greatest player of all time. Never bunt. The pitcher win is irrelevant. And just read those to him late at night. <laughs> <laughs> just get it ingrained early. Make exactly. <laughs> His first sentence will be, never bunt, and he'll be the greatest child of all time.
1: Your kinder, your, his kindergarten teacher is going to send him home. <laughs> um, so today I asked, what's his name going to be, Ezra? Yeah. Today I asked Ezra, um, what's one thing he learned growing up, and all he could say was, never bunt.
0: <laughs> hey, I'd be a proud father. We'll go get ice cream if that's, if that happens. <laughs> well, let's get into the real – real matters at hand though. So we have, we, this is another attempt at recording. We actually had a fantastic podcast recorded with uh, Grant Gavin, Vinny Pasquantino and John Easley talking about, you know, the season starting, but they're obviously not on the 60 man. So they're just kind of having to work on their own and seeing how things were going. And the minute I went to go and edit the thing, my audio file corrupted and we lost everything. And I was so pissed off. And so it took a little bit to try and get back into it. Kind of just like the burnout had kind of set in. So we kind of needed a little bit of a break anyways. And uh, so we haven't really – we haven't done any sort of recording. We haven't really talked outside of just, you know, just kind of shooting the ball, watching games, uh, about the season that's going on right now. And the Royals are on a little bit of a winning streak at the moment, but more than anything, it's just been really cool to see some of these young guys come up and have a little bit of success early on in the big leagues for the Royals. Uh, Brady Singer, Chris Bubich, Nikki, Tyler Zuber are four guys that have made their big league debut. There's probably going to be more here in the coming weeks, depending on where the Royals are at, probably – going to be heading toward you know an out of the race here soon we'll probably see a few more here in this last month month and a half of the season Uh, Alex what are some of your thoughts on what we've seen from these guys to this point because it's getting me really excited especially on the pitching side uh, with Zuber and Bubich and uh, and Singer not a knock on Nick Heath at all but the pitching depth is really starting to showcase this is going to be the future of what this organization is going to be it's showing what we what we have to look forward to in a couple years for sure and you know I think Obviously, as Royals Farm Report, we've been
1: telling people that these kids are coming for the last couple of years now. And, you know, it's it's nice to finally see it, you know, the the things we've been telling people that are coming true and becoming relevant. And, you know, we can go back and look at old, you know, articles that we've written, old reports we've done, old tweets and stuff like that, and just kind of see, like, when we drafted these kids a couple of June's ago. What does that look like now? Where were we right? Where were we wrong? How have these kids developed the way that we thought? How they developed in ways that we didn't expect? And, you know, after – I think Chris Bubich is actually the only guy we correctly mocked to the Royals in that 2018 draft. We had him at the exact same spot that the Royals took him. We had him mocked there. And, you know, we, we obviously we thought it was a good fit. But then, you know, he goes to Idaho Falls and doesn't look great. And He was always going to be kind of a – low or low ceiling higher floor guy and when he struggled in Idaho Falls you thought okay so it's going to take him a few years he won't be here as quick as co he won't be here as quick as Lynch especially not Brady Singer and then he was the second one of the group um, so just the way these guys develop the way they've worked it has been a a lot of fun to watch but b it's been rewarding because you know that all the work we've done over here at Royals Farm is, is going to pay off because people know who these guys are, right? They, they don't have to just wonder who Chris Bubich is, you know? Um, we don't do a whole lot of self-marketing, but, you know, if if you're a Royals fan and, you, and you've and you just stumbled upon us for the first time because you were on the Royals Review podcast page or you just happened to have somebody share this link with you and you watched Chris Bubich pitch the other day and it was the first time you'd heard of Chris Bubich or you didn't really know who Chris Bubich was or what he was going to be about, you know, we've we've had reports on that for a long time. So, not that everything we report is accurate or, like, we're all telling. But, you know, it's there. And so, it, it's rewarding to f- see that finally come to fruition. But it's also fun to watch because the Royals' rotation has been the weakest point of the team for a long time. And, man, it's nice to know that four days – or all five days, really, every time that rotation rolls around, you're going to get quality starts from – Everybody in the rotation, Danny Duffy's been pretty good this year. Keller was dominant in his first outing. Brady Singer has been really good. And Chris Bubich was really good against the Cubs. Jake Junis looked really good in his first start, man. So it's just fun to finally see good baseball again. I really do believe that 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 attitude adjustment, that the turn came when they called up Chris Bubich and they've called up Brady Singer. And it's like, here come the kids. It's time to go or get off the pot, so to speak. So... Um, really, really like what I'm seeing so far. Man, it's just been so much fun to watch the kids play.
0: I think that was gonna, that was the biggest thing, and this isn't necessarily just oil specific, but a, any team that had some of these top prospects, that whether they were in contention or if they're a team that we know is going to get to the playoffs, or they're a team that's just not good, not going to get to the playoffs with some talent, how would they handle in a 60-game season being able to get some of these guys up? Because I believe 61 games and less – doesn't accrue a year of service time. So you have the opportunity to kind of game a little bit of service time, get some guys experience, and it doesn't cost you a year. And so I was wondering how the Royals would handle it, how any other team would. And immediately within – Bernie Singer started the second day of the season for the Royals, uh, second or third day. And that was great to see because that shows how much they believe in him. I think he would have been up in the big leagues, well-established by, by you know six or eight starts at this point. I don't know if Chris Bubich would have come up if it wasn't a sixty-game season, at least right now. But you see how much they believe in these guys, and understand this: like you see these guys, and you see, wow, like you, Brady Singer and Chris Bubich have both done things on the mound that have made me sit, you know, made me incredibly impressed with how good they are. And then you still have Jackson Coar and Daniel Lynch, John Boland. Like there are other guys in the system that are just as good, if not better. And that is not only you know, exciting for us, but frightening for the rest of the league, too, because these guys are learning on the fly. bracing or hadn't pitched above double A. Chris Bubich hadn't pitched above high A. And these guys are striking big league hitters out and making big league hitters look foolish at times. Uh, you see the changeup that uh, – I, I still go back to the changeup that uh, Chris Bubich threw Anthony Rizzo. And that's the kind of stuff that is really exciting for the future of this team. And now it's just a matter of time, I think, before we see Jackson or before we see Daniel Lynch here in the next month and a half or so for KC.
1: For sure. And you mentioned the, the success that they were having. It's not like these guys are coming up here and just competing and getting by. Right. You know, there are <clears> – <throat> excuse me, there are 62 qualified pitchers in Major League Baseball right now, and Brady Singer is 22nd in strikeouts per nine. Um, you know, these, these guys – and Brady Singer, by the way – has absolutely dominated right-handed hitters. I was I posted on Twitter earlier that he's got a 1.74 xFIP, which is basically like if every condition was perfect, you know what would this pitcher's ERA is so to speak be? And it, it's 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 a projection. xFIP is not meant to tell you how good the pitcher has been. xFIP is is more like of a projection, like. If if this kid continues to pitch exactly the same way, and the stars align a little bit, what would his ERA look like at the end of the season? And they're telling you against right-handed hitters, his ex-fip has been 1.74. He has absolutely dominated right-handed hitting. And we knew coming into the season that the left-handed pitchers would be the struggle, and that's what you know, the, the, the development of his third pitch would be the key to success. But the way that he has absolutely made right handed hitters look like they've not not even look like big league hitters at times is is really encouraging so it's not just minimal success it's not just getting by like these guys are thriving chris bubich the other day against the cubs was absolutely unbelievable it was so much fun to watch so yeah man i mean and, and that's the and you mentioned the craziest thing is that the three most talented pitchers not necessarily the three best not necessarily the three most polished pitchers, but the three with the most talent, I would say inarguably are Jackson Coar, Daniel Lynch and Asa Lacey. They can oh, all run on their Lacy fastballs. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So they can, you know, they can all run their fastballs into the upper nineties with semi regularity. They all have a filthy off speed offering. At least one. Daniel Lynch has a couple, man, they're coming. Like there, there are more horses in the stable ready to be let loose. So, you know, it, there, there's a decent chance that by the end of 2022, we're sitting here looking at Brady Singer wondering, is he going to keep starting, or is there, are they so loaded that they could potentially have to move somebody like either Junis or Keller or Singer to the bullpen because they are legitimately that stacked with starting pitching. So it's a great problem to have. That is not something that anybody should be worried about long term. It is a wonderful issue to have to look at, and, man, it has been – absolutely stellar so far to watch these guys pitch.
0: Yeah, you talk about Brady Singer having uh, to develop that third pitch and his changeup is good. He just doesn't throw it a lot. Uh, if you look at his first start, you, you tweeted this earlier today that in his first start against the, uh, against the Indians, he threw 80 pitches and only threw two, two changeups. And then he throws 95 pitches against Minnesota the other day and throws 90 and throws it 13 times. It's, and it's a really – it's a it's a good pitch. It's not – it's still, you know, working in. But you can see why it's still – you know, it's it's a solid pitch. And if he can find a way to work that thing a little more, more with that, you know, exploding two seam and the hard slider slurve kind of deal, he, he's going to be – a I think he's going to be a very effective starter. I don't think he's going to be top of the rotation moving forward when you think about the guys that are coming in with Lacey and Kowar and Lynch and others. Um, but he's going to work into a rotation as a three or a four – and be a really good three or four. And it's not like, it's it's not a knock on him at all. It's just, that's about where he is compared to everybody else. And I think that's what's crazy is that he's getting big league hitters out at a pretty high rate and he's not even the best dude in the system at this point. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's, that's my, one of my favorite things about it, man, is
1: <clears throat> this is, it's going to be so much fun for Royals fans over the next couple of years. So, you know, Singer and Bubich have looked great so far. And it's not even just starters. We've seen Tyler Zuber come up, and Tyler Zuber's numbers are a little wacky. If I were a Royals fan, I wouldn't pay any attention to his season numbers because they are all kinds of goofy right now because he only pitched eight innings. But, and let's see. Hang on. My bad. One, two, three, four, five of his seven outings, he has been scoreless. He has struck out. Um, a batter in four of those seven outings. The walks are a little high right now. And I, and I think that's, that's a, for a reliever, that's a, that's an adjustment you got to make when you get to the big leagues. Cause right. you, you pitch in the minor leagues and Zuber again, never pitched in tri- or did he make it to triple a last year?
0: No, he was double a. I
1: think yeah, I going to say he was only able double a last year. So never pitching in, against triple a hitters, guys in the minors chase a lot. They, they swing at pitches out of the zone. You get to the major leagues. You throw the same nasty slider you threw to a hitter at Double A, now he's not chasing. Now it's that's another ball in the count. So it's making the adjustments, learning when you can get away with throwing a slider in the dirt, learning when you've got to come into the zone and try to get an out in the zone. Um, so I wouldn't look at Zuber's long or his season numbers right now. But the the really important thing is five of his seven outings have been scoreless, and and that's what I'm going to focus on because Mike Maffini has leaned on him in high leverage situations. There was another reliever, Daniel Tillo, who I believe was going to make the big leagues this year um, before he got hurt and might have to have Tommy John left-handed 95 mile an hour power sinkers. He was going to be an effective bullpen piece. I have by no means given up on a guy like Richard Lovelady yet, who could be another really good left-handed bullpen piece. The Royals have pitching everywhere they need it in order to be successful for the next three, four years. So Whenever these guys do make it, they are going, they're not going to have to buy pitching, which means when Alex Gordon is no longer on the team, and depending on what they do with Jorge Soler, but when Ian Kennedy's contract comes off the books, all of the money they have, they will have the luxury to be able to spend on hitting down the road. So I know there's a lot of people right now that are concerned because of the lack of hitting development. I got news for you. It may not matter. They may just develop so much pitching – that all 13 pitchers on the 25-man roster next year are homegrown. And so we've got 12 spots for hitters. If the outfield still doesn't look great, who are the free agents? We can go spend a little extra money because we, we don't have to pay these pitchers yet. So that's that's kind of the situation they've set themselves up for, and I am I'm really excited to see how this plays out.
0: Yeah, and let's not forget, on the hit, speaking of the hitting side, we'll, we'll kind of circle back to pitching here in a second. But the other guy that made his major league debut is friend of the podcast – uh, Nick Heath, one of the easiest dudes in baseball to root for. I mean, just legitimately one of the nicest and coolest guys out there. Um, you know, he pinched, ran a little bit, finally got some run and needed a little bit of a spark and they put him in the nine spot and he got when he got his first big league start and got went one for three with, he got a double stolen base. It was a hustle double too, which is very on brand for him. And found a little bit of, you know, he started to find his footing and then he gets hurt and ends up on the IL, which sucks. But you can see why the Royals like him. It's a ton of speed. It's a good personality. It's, you know, just a little bit of a spark that they needed. And it kind of kicked off a little winning streak they're on right now. It's a small one, but for a team that isn't really that great to be able to win four in a row, sweep the Minnesota Twins, who's the best team in the division by by far, you know, that, I think that says a lot. I think I think it's a little just a little cool thing. Yeah, and I mean you talk about like
1: that he Nick Heath and Gerard Dyson are not exactly similar baseball players. But in terms of the spark plug coming off the bench, um, you know, filling in here, filling in there, playing great defense, running electric – being electric on the base paths. You know, I think Nick Heath was a little boost of energy for the team when they really needed it. And then, like, like you said, of course he gets hurt because 2020 just won't let us have too many nice things. Um, but, yeah, man, I think when he gets back, I mean, that's, that's the little spark plug they need at the bottom of the lineup. And he can really create some dynamic situations – with his legs, so uh, you know, I was really happy for him when he did make his debut. Obviously, very uh, very sad also that he didn't get to stick in the lineup for more than a couple of days. So um, excited for him to get back because I do think he adds a, a, just a different element to the lineup that already exists.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know, we're, we're, now let's go back to pitching real quick. Um, you know, we talked about Boobish. Talked about Singer coming up. Boobish was a little bit of a surprise. I expected to see Lynch or. Coar first but how soon do you think it is before we see either one of those guys i can't imagine it's more than a few weeks i don't know if they have to wait on an injury or maybe a losing streak and a couple bad you know a couple bad goes through the rotation for you know Matheny in the front office to go hey let's put one of these guys in and see if they can light a spark uh you're talking about Coar and lynch right yes that's what i meant yeah
1: gotcha so it's hard to say i mean you look up and down the up and down the roster right now, and, like, the the, the only pitchers who haven't been really good are, st- like, statistically or Zuber, but he we, like we just said, the numbers are wonky, and five out of seven good outings is, is good enough for me. Ian Kennedy, who, unless they trade him, is going to be in the big leagues. Kevin McCarthy, who, which, so you won't hear me complain about, you know, if they, if they were to cut bait with him, but everybody else on the roster, I mean, Barlow's pitching phenomenally. Brad Keller, Danny Duffy, Trevor Rosenthal, Holland, Zimmer, Stamont. Like, everybody else on the roster has their place kind of intact. So unless they go and trade Greg Holland or Rosenthal, which is possible, but I, I, I don't know what trades look like this year. And if this team is competing, which they are right now, I don't really expect Dayton Moore to trade anybody. Like, I, I would. but I don't expect him to. So – I really don't know what that looks like. Um, If Kevin McCarthy isn't cutting it here in the next couple weeks, I could see Jackson Coar taking his place in the bullpen with that. Like, again, his ability to hit 99 with a sick changeup. If Mike Montgomery, the lefty, doesn't get to make a comeback like they want him to, or actually, did they move him to the 45-day IL? Yes, they did. So there's another lefty that ain't coming back. Does Daniel Lynch potentially fill his shoes? I really don't know, but – They've started to kind of get through the weeds a little bit with some injuries because Montgomery's injured, Glenn Sparkman's injured, they DFA'd Jorge Lopez, they sent Milanios down. If McCarthy's the next, you know, one to fall, then maybe, but I I just don't know whose spot is getting taken right now because the pitching staff as a whole has really done a really, really good job this year.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it's going to depend on the next few weeks because – you know, uh, you know, you lose a couple series in a row or you lose five or six in a row and you're you're pretty much out of it at this point because it's the middle of August and there's a month and a half or less of the season left. So I think that that's going to be pretty telling. If they continue to win, then, you know, they're in it a little bit. There are 16 teams that are going to the playoffs this year. So you can reasonably believe that they think they have a chance and, you know, the Royals aren't out there to lose. Um, I think you've seen that a lot this year with the way Mike Matheny has managed this, this team, which I've been incredibly impressed with. But if they you know, they lose a couple series here in the next week or so, and they're kind of falling out of it, I can see maybe giving those guys an opportunity. But I'm, I don't think they're going to force it. I think they're going to you know, let it kind of organically happen, depending on how the wins and the losses fall over the next couple of weeks. We haven't gotten the chance to talk about it. Uh, and you mentioned Ronald Bolaños a little bit. Uh, they traded Tim Hill to the uh, the San Diego Padres for Ronald Bolaños and Francie Cordero. What were some of your thoughts on that move? I know it's a few weeks removed from it actually happening, but we haven't had the chance to talk about it a little bit on Airways. I mean, anything, I think any value you could get for a lefty, you know, lefty specialist in Tim Hill, I really like the move. I think the two guys they got are solid pieces in, you know, with where the the team is at at this point in their rebuild. I mean, I, I don't think there's a way that you can lose this deal. Oh, no. This, that, that trade I said at the time was not losable
1: for the Royals um i'm looking up tim hill tim hill right now his era is over 11 even if you want to look at his FIP, it's almost eight so he's striking out a lot of batters he's his walks are about par for the course he has given up a lot of home runs which is interesting given his profile and being in san diego but you know it's not like he's out there dominating this year and you go oh man wouldn't it be cool to have a dominant lefty i, I mean like like you said, he throws, what, he gets three outs every three days. And so getting anything, they got, a, they got a right-handed pitcher who's 23 years old, throws 95 and harder. They got the guy who currently is number six in Major League Baseball in xwoba, which is expected weight on base average. So basically, kind of like we were talking about earlier with Singer, like if the stars align, what would this look like? you know, in theory, based off how hard he's hitting the ball. And that dude was smoking baseballs left and right when he was in the lineup. And he he really wasn't striking out a whole lot. So, you know, they got two really high upside major league-ready players in that trade for one loogie. So I was 100% on board with that. And honestly, Bolaños hit statistically, didn't look good. And, you know, I don't know that kid's ever going to be a starting pitcher. But if you go back and you look at his game log um, from the two outings that he did make, if I remember right, the first inning and in those starts were okay. And then in that second start, he kind of fell apart against Chicago. Um, but if I remember correctly, that was in the second inning of that game. So if you're running him out there in short spurts, I am 100% on board with that kid being in the bullpen later on this season. I just don't think he's ever going to be a starter, but still, he traded one reliever for another and got a really high upside outfielder in the deal who's only 25 years old. So yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. And I, and I, honestly, I kind of liked what I saw from both players and their short times with the Royals so far this year.
0: I'm a big fan of Cordero. I think the way he hits the ball at least tells me that, and with the way he really hasn't swung and missed, which he did a little bit of, if not even more than that in San Diego, I think he's maturing as a hitter, but the fact that he's an exit velocity and stat cast God At least, you know, tells me a little bit that, you know, he's going to be able to sustain, if nothing else, as a fourth outfielder and a dude that provides a little bit of thump off the bench if you really need it. Uh, He struggled in center field. I think he's probably going to move to a corner. But I think he's a guy you keep on the roster for the next couple years. You have the control. You might as well. It creates a little bit of a debate of, you know, Bubba Starling's on the IL. Brett Phillips uh, is still kind of working his way through. He provides good defense, but he hasn't really hit at all in Kansas City. So you have a little bit of a playing time issue when Cordero does come back off the IL. Uh, I think he got like a sprain or wrist sprain or something like that. Probably because he just swings the mat so damn hard. But then with Bolaños, he didn't, you know, like you mentioned, like there, there were some stuff that you saw that was really good. He's 23 and manipulates his fastball like a veteran. You know, he's able to sink it. He's able to cut it. He's able to throw for power, take a little off when he really needs a strike with some decent secondaries. And I think that's all the makings of a really good reliever. A really good one-in dude that you go, hey – Go out there, throw ninety-nine for an inning, have fun, and then we'll move on to the next guy. I don't think he's a starter. I don't even mind him as like an opener type, but I don't see him going beyond two innings. But I think there's enough value there that he's gonna be a nice piece for the bullpen and the pitching staff for the next couple of years because you have a ton of control with him too. I think you have fighters control with with him, and I think you have four with Cordero. So you have a couple decent pieces here moving
2: forward.
1: Yeah, for sure. That, that trade was really good on Dayton Moore's part, and even if it doesn't work, you know, This, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be anybody that goes hindsight, you know, that says, ah, look, these two players failed. I think it's a lot of the same for, like, the Mike Mustakis trade where we're looking at that trade now and going, man, those two players didn't work out. At the time, you were trading two months of a third baseman for Brett Phillips who has crazy upside in the outfield and he was hitting the ball hard in the minor leagues. And Jorge Lopez, who, again, was terrible, but he threw really hard with some crazy movement on his pitches, and it just didn't work out. So, you know, you talk about process over results. I think the process of the Mike Moustakis trade was there. I like think like the point of the trade made a lot of sense, just like I think the, the point of the Tim Hill trade makes a lot of sense. Even if in, in three years we look back and go, oh, that didn't work at all, I will never fault the process here for Dayton Moore.
0: No, I, I think, like I said, well, as I mentioned when I, I brought up the topic, I think any value that you can get for, you know, with a three batter minimum now, you know, a guy that's kind of starting to lose his role, I think that I think that's a that's a W. in Dayton Moore's, you know, in his corner. So if these guys work out great, if not, you know, it's essentially a lottery ticket, and you at least took a chance on getting a couple guys that help you now rather than, you know, Tim Hill, that probably you don't know how much longer he's going to be able to truly be effective. So I think he's he's almost 30, isn't he, already? He is 30. He is 30. Okay, yeah. So, I don't know. You don't know how much longer, you know, the reliever peak and the reliever value is so volatile that you don't know what he was going to get you. So, you might as well strike with the iron's He was decent last year. you're able to get a couple pieces for him, I'm never going never gonna to fault anybody for that. Yeah, 100%. Well, it was nice to be able to talk a little bit about this on Airwaves. We haven't gotten to do that in a little while, and that's mostly my fault, but, you know, whatever. Um, we do have a fantastic interview here uh, coming up uh, right on the other side of the commercial break. Alex and I had the opportunity to interview Alec Lewis. He's the beat writer for the Kansas City Royals for The Athletic. He does fantastic work, and I'm, I'm excited to hear what he has to say uh, for about the Royals and the experience of – you know getting to see some of the air squad scrimmages and the way that the you know games have been you know at Hoffman Stadium and other in other stadiums with no fans. Uh, I'm sure that that's going to be very interesting to hear what he has to say. Um, you know, it's an opportunity to talk to someone that's a little bit closer to the club than we are. So I'm I'm, I'm excited to hear what he has to say.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to asking him about how the uh, satellite campus look. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen any reporting out of there, have we? I think maybe on the broadcast the other day, they mentioned that Kyle Isbell had been really good. We saw Subi Matias post a video of him taking Braden Shipley to Dongtown. Um, otherwise, I mean, we haven't really gotten much over there other than Matt Harvey, who's, what well, they, they keep talking about how good Matt Harvey looks, which I can't wait to see him on a big league roster. So you can't detect sarcasm there. But um, anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to ask Alec about the, um, the the satellite camp for sure, but also some thoughts on, how these kids have been in the major leagues from from his vantage point as well.
0: All right. Without further ado, we'll get into our interview with Alec Lewis. Before we do that, we'll be right back after a word from sponsor. Alex and I are now joined by Alec Lewis. He is the Royals beat writer for the Athletic. He is a Mizzou grad from last year and he's killing it over there. If you have not subscribed to The Athletic, absolutely do it. His work is worth the price to begin with. Alec, how are you doing, man?
2: I'm good, Joel uh, and Alex. Thank you guys for having me. I'm I'm happy to be here. Happy we got. It's an off day right now, so it's first one in what feels like five months, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, it's been really, it's been really nice to see actual baseball. So I'm good. I, I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, absolutely. How are you handling? Because
0: it's a sixty game season. You know you're doing a lot of work too. Obviously, not you know on the field every day, but you're having a, you're covering the team you're traveling a little bit you know how are you handling an off day in the 60 game sprint that we're watching
2: I played golf this morning that was one way in which I handled it um tried to stay off my phone as much as possible but then you you get alerts of like franchise being transferred to the 60 day IL you get certain things that pop up that keep you back on your phone but no I've tried to just breathe I mean 17 days straight although I'm fortunate in that we don't have to write every single day um 17 days of baseball is a lot when you're score booking every single one so um trying to just enjoy it but I even as Mike Matheny said last night and that would have been Sunday night he's like with the way we're going and playing I don't really want to stop and so it kind of honestly from a reporter standpoint with the vibe around everybody you kind of um it's just been fun to cover uh just see what they've done with with after a six game losing streak no doubt
1: Alec you, you we're talking about the winning streak and, I, and you know I think the the offense coming around has been a big part of that we've seen Nick Heath get in there make his debut uh Hunter Dozier's come back off the IL um added an RBI in his first at bat the other day but a lot of that is just the guys that have already been in the lineup starting to hit all of a sudden, what can you, um, you know, what's been your take, I guess, on the offense waking up? Is it, you know, we, there was a lot of talk on social media and through the, through the reporters and writers that, you know, the, the expected stats for the Royals were a little bit higher than what was really happening because they were hitting the ball hard, but maybe they weren't falling. Right. But, you know, what's been your take on the offense's kind of renaissance here early in the season.
2: Yeah, you know, I think you mentioned it, but what really, to me, kickstarted everything were some of the timely hits from guys like Ryan O'Hearn, Nicky Lopez, Nick Heath, guys kind of toward the bottom of the lineup who the Royals have believed it. I mean, the Royals had believed in Ryan O'Hearn enough to provide him continuous opportunities, and you saw what he did in spring training. I mean, he was raking, and then obviously he gets – to the season a couple days in and gets a summer training camp, excuse me, a couple days in test positive for COVID-19 asymptomatic. So then it takes him a bit to get his timing back, but then he's back. I think up to this point, he's like seven for 11 with runners in scoring position. And that's just going to get the job done. And it's necessary when you didn't have a guy like Hunter Dozier, um, who is obviously back, but I think I want to, I start there in terms of this offense kind of getting things together, because um, I think, you know, that you're what you're going to get from what Merrifield. obviously from Jorge Soler um, Salvador Perez has just been dynamite at the plate. Um, so I think you, you knew what you're going to get from those guys. And it was always going to be a matter of what the guys toward the, the middle slash bottom part of the lineup could do. And they, they really perform. You mentioned Nick Heath and I did, too, but, they had him in the lineup after the six-game losing streak needing a spark because that's who Nick Heath is. That's what he does, and that's what he provided, I think, kind of singling to right field in his first at bat in a timely spot. So um, to me, I think the offense kind of awakening is, is somewhat due to, to those timely hits, but also you mentioned the expected stats. I mean, if you look at what these guys have done at the plate from the entire stamp sample size – kind of just in the way they've hit the ball, the hard hit rates, exit velocity, that type of stuff. They're they're toward the top half of major league baseball on all of them and everybody who knows baseball knows how big sample size is and so I think that's also been a part of it.
1: It's a couple of the guys lead the offense right now in Salvi and Soler um and even you know when we when we did get a chance to see Sully Matias in summer camp and in spring training we're absolutely hitting missiles all over the field. You know, um, Salvi and Soler are both in the top ten right now and ex-WOBA across Major League Baseball. Worked out with Mike Tosar in the offseason, and I know the ro- after Soler's record-setting year last year, the Royals hired Mike Tosar to come work with the team. Have you, have you gotten to talk with Mike Tosar? Have you gotten to talk to the hitters about Mike Tosar? What, what is it this dude is doing right that everybody he works with, he's got the Midas touch, man?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. No, I have gotten to talk to Mike Tozar a lot. I mean, we talked when I did the story last year, kind of about Jorge Soler's awakening. I talked to Mike on the phone and at that point, uh, I believe he was in some type of scouting role with the Dodgers, but almost kind of a, I guess I I want to say kind of a remove role. Like I think he was being paid, but he wasn't truthfully on the Dodgers staff. And so um, Mike's, Mike's great. I mean, I think, I've asked about this. You mentioned the Midas touch. I think it's just his, his ability to convey information in a way that, that guys truthfully that, that just clicks with guys. And it's interesting. So I did a story on Kyle Zimmer. Um, I la this past week and just terms in terms of like him working with Tom house and a certain, certain verbiage, certain things, just clicking. I think baseball is just weird in, in the way that, uh, Mike Tozar can say a certain thing to Jorge Soler in terms of just wanting them to, to attack and be a lion and and he can also provide drills for them to work it in the ways in which they they need to and so I think Mike's ability both to to, to provide I guess just a confidence but also a drill set for them to kind of reach their full potential has been the key and I think just he's been around so many big time hitters. I mean you, you mentioned these Royals guys, but I mean Yonder Alonzo um Edward at Escobar. Like this guy's been around some big time uh hitters and I think you just for him he's been in had so much experience um uh, just being in those conversations that helps him. I also think the thing to, to note is Mike's really close with Pedro Grafal really really close. And so with when a guy like Salvi goes to Mike Tozar there's this immediate trust of what this guy's telling me I need to buy into, and it'll pay off and with some coaches, you're not always going to get that so the Royals decision to hire Mike as a special assignment hitting coach i mean very it was a no brainer and it seems to have really kind of paid off and seems like it'll really continue to no doubt
1: yeah the the offensive awakening has been really i think has been what's been the big turnaround, but the pitching has been pretty consistent all year, and I think maybe the tone was set when they decided that Brady Singer, you're starting game two and you're going to be a part of this rotation all year. They bring up Chris Bubich in the middle of the year. Brad Keller comes back. He's been dynamite. You know, the the stabilization of this rotation has been huge for this team, but the bullpen has been good all year. Um, Specifically with the rookies, Singer, Bubich, Zuber, you know, what is something that you've, is anything you've seen, anything you like what you've seen, um, from the rookies so far because they've obviously been
2: great in their short stint so far. I mean, I think I like everything that I've seen of, of, from guys like Brady and, and Chris Buwich, but I think maybe the the biggest thing to note is some people are, are, I mean, how expected, what, how surprising is this to see? I just don't think that the Royals are surprised because they believe in the makeup of specifically these two guys and Brady and Chris Boobich, obviously Brad Keller, they believe in, but, but Brady and Chris, um are are very cerebral and competitive in ways that not all guys are and I think it, it's benefited them their entire careers um it's really benefited them since they've reached the big leagues but they also have the stuff to get things done I mean Brady Singer as we've talked about as you guys I'm sure have talked about it ad nauseum is has been a fastball slider guy and the question has always been does he have the change up to go alongside it and um I think yesterday threw 13 of them and was throwing them in pretty important counts and so uh people have asked Brady like what about that he's like look I, I know I could throw that pitch I've known I've worked hard on that pitch and it's it's a continual pro- progression a guy like Chris Bubich when you have a change up like he does it gives you I mean it gives you opportunity at every angle just to have that type of movement on that type of pitch to combine it with a fastball that really has ticked up more than maybe I even thought it it would um, is impressive. And it's it's what the Royals knew and I think expected these guys could bring. It's It pairs perfectly with Brad Keller, who's, it's crazy to say, but he's only 25 years old, is a year or so older than Brady Singer. And then you mentioned the sp- stability, but I wrote in The Athletic, um on monday about just in terms of that stability i think is really important because every time you roll up to the park you know who you've got going you know what they can do at their peak level and a lot of these guys peak level is is really shut down stuff so um it's been it's been really i think eye-opening to see the success these guys have had specifically with brady and chris um, it's been eye-opening in the fact that the Royals made the move they did and it paid off just like they they probably expected it, it to. Obviously, because they're so young, you might expect a little hiccup here and there. It happens, that's baseball, but they performed in ways that they've shown they can and there's no arguing that at all.
0: So I think the fascinating thing about these pitchers that the Royals have in Singer and which obviously they're very talented and they're proving that on big league mouths right now, they can get big league hitters out early on in their career, but there's two other guys that are part of this with Daniel Lynch and Jackson Kolar. Uh We're, you know, Alex and I talked about it earlier that we think there's a decent chance we're going to see them at some point in the big leagues later this season. Uh, what were some things and some interactions maybe you had with them in interviews or just watching them in summer camp and, you know, the capacity that they pitch? What, what did you think about them? And uh, do you think that we, when do you think uh, we would have an opportunity to see them? By chance?
2: Those guys are electric. I mean, their stuff is is as electric, I think, at, from a prospect perspective, as, as you'll see. I mean, Jackson Coar, I mentioned Chris Bubich's changeup, but Jackson has a changeup that is, I mean, it's, it's his best pitch. He also has run a fastball up to like 98. And so when you have that type of stuff and you're adding a breaking ball like Jackson is, it becomes really tough. Daniel Lynch, I mean, anybody who knows anything about the fall league and what he did down there, knows that he's a guy who has the potential that he has. Um, so for me, I was impressed by what they did in, 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 summer training camp. I wasn't surprised that they're not up here just because I think both of those guys are a little taller. And sometimes when you're six, five, six, six, and you're working with that type of, of heat, it just takes more time to get your arm slot and, and repeat your arm slot or your, your arm angle and and be consistent with your command. So I think that, that both of those guys they know that that's their biggest thing if they command pitches at a level that that warrants uh, a call-up I think they'll be there but um, in terms of timing I mean I don't know I don't think the Royals are going to rush it I've I've said that with all of these guys I think when these players know they're they themselves are ready to go up and, and command their fastball and other pitches consistently I think they'll make the move but I also think it's important to realize that Danny Duffy is on his, the penultimate year of his D of his contract. Um, so whether the Royals decide to do some extension type thing or whether they decide that maybe he is, he is an arm to trade, I think it's going to be important. I also think um, a guy like Jacob Junis still at his age, you want to see what he can bring before you make any move. And so I think uh, they want these guys to have have everyday opportunities to get the innings that they need to be successful in these next couple of years. So I don't think they push it unless those innings are really there for them. And then I guess lastly, you mentioned what have I taken from these guys in interviews? I mean, they're both really good dudes, really fun to talk to. Um, Daniel and I have had a lot of great conversations about how much he loves Jacob Degrom. And then Jackson Coar is is funny guy who has a lot of character. I think Royals fans will really relate to. But I think the one thing overall, just to note about these, these two guys, is their stuff is as electric as the others, um, maybe even more. And beyond them, there are more guys that these four get thrown around because they were the, the first round picks, compensation picks in twenty eighteen. But I mean, we don't often talk about Oh crap! Really value and care about, and and that they think can really help them in the future.
1: We lost you there for a second. Um, yeah. I'm sure Joel can go back and get that, but so I'll I'll pick up right here, and then um, hopefully it'll all sound good. Otherwise, we can
2: yeah. No, sorry, about it. sorry, about no, that. It. it's all
0: good,
1: all good. So, <clears throat> okay, you ready, Joel? Yeah. So you mentioned Jackson Coar and Daniel Lynch, and and. How electric their stuff is! Those aren't the only two guys over at camp with that we know have good stuff. Matt Harvey's pitching over there. Um, Braden Shipley's done some rounds in the major leagues. He's over there. Uh, Jake Brintz is a lefty that you know we've mentioned as a really really good fastball. He's he's at satellite camp, and I'm going to let you tell the story, Alec. But we were talking a little bit about you know maybe that the bats at satellite camp have looked really good. Um, So it sounds like things over at satellite camp are, are you know, looking pretty good, looking pretty positive. What updates can you give us, if any, over there? Um, Anything that you've seen is good, any any updates, any news, anything coming from satellite camp you've got?
2: Yeah, if you're walking around T-Bones Park, uh, you might need earplugs listening to some of these bats, is what I've heard. No, I mean, look, I think that's really to be expected. Think about the guys we're talking about who are taking swings over there. I mean, you've had the Hunter Dozers. So like, obviously <laughs> you got that type of guy, but then you have guys like Kyle Isbell and Khalil Lee and Suley Matthias and Nick Prado and MJ Melendez guys who at their peak with what they can do with the bat. I mean, these all, all these guys have pop and um, the Royals believe that it's why they're there to develop. And then for some of these guys, maybe ultimately reach the big league stage. So um, I mean, obviously you mentioned, what have you heard news? I mean, I've heard that a guy like Kyle Lisboa has looked really good. I've I've heard that Bobby Witt Jr. has continued to do the types of things that he did in summer training camp and and show a pop that I think the Royals will love to see from a guy who they selected number two in the 2019 draft. So um, I think just the biggest thing to note is is how important and probably just nice it is for these guys. A lot of these guys are just still 21 years old or or younger. how, how nice it is for them to be taking swings and taking live ABs against pitchers like you mentioned, like a Jake Brantz, like a Matt Harvey, like some of the other Royals arms over there, like a Richard Lovelady type. Um, I just think the Royals are very comfortable and confident with the development staff they have over there and with the development those guys can continue to get um, moving forward to, to years in which they're really going to be necessary for the Royals to succeed at the big league level.
0: Um, going back to kind of the Big Lou Club for just a second, I'm curious what your interactions have been with Mike Matheny. So I'll admit, just as a fan of the Royals, when Ned Rios retired and Mike Matheny came in, I was a little bit skeptical just because of the way things ended in St. Louis. But I've been incredibly impressed through the early part of the season of the way he's handled the game, the way that he's managed the game, you know, bullpen-wise and roster construction, throwing out different lineups just to see what works. Uh, I've been really impressed what have you thought of him and you know talking with him in interviews uh, and it seems like the players really like playing for him it seems like things are really moving in the right direction the way that we want as we kind of come on the other as we're starting to see the other side of what this rebuild is going to look like
2: yeah going back to spring training I've said this a lot but in speaking to players coaching staff executives everybody has raved um about Mike Matheny and just his his intensity, uh, his want to win. Look, these players really, after the last two years and the struggles that the Royals had with back-to-back 100-loss seasons, these players really wanted to win. They wanted to compete. They wanted to be in the battles. And, and Mike Matheny listened to these players and was like, look, okay, if that's what you guys want, then that's what we're going to push for. And if that's the case, maybe that means bullpen roles look a little different. Maybe that means we lean on matchups for specific numbers. I mean, I, I've been impressed in the fact that every time as a reporter we have a question, there's usually a why behind his answer. And I think that's been a theme with players. When they have questions about the reason that that they're not playing that day, there's typically a why behind it. And um it's got to be comforting as a player to know that. As a reporter it's comforting knowing why certain things are being done. It's kind of our job to relay that information. Um but I've been impressed by the bullpen usage Specifically at times you'll be like why is Greg Holland coming in to face lefty Eddie Rosario right here and it's like wait if you go look at statcast and see that Eddie Rosario is batting 174 against sliders and Greg Holland has arguably one of the best sliders in this bullpen you might understand why this makes sense um so those types of things have been impressive and I I think they've also been kind of a um kind of an an escalation elevation um move Forward for Mike Matheny from, from St. Louis to now. I think he's a really reflective guy. Everything you heard from St. Louis was if he messes something up, if something goes wrong, he, if he needs to do something to improve, he's going to dedicate himself to doing that. And I think you've seen that in the element of just his managerial tactics and his time thus far in Kansas City. And, yes, it's a 17-game sample size baseball thrives off sample size so I know we got to see more and I, I it's my job to report that and so that's just kind of how I view it but everything thus far I mean has been positive rave reviews there's no doubt about it
1: one thing that I think a lot of people were you know worried about with Matheny coming over was the the clubhouse attitude handling personalities whatever and one point I made when they first hired him to come on as that advisor role which Ned Yost was and it was kind of apparent that maybe he'd be a manager was, you know, he was hired as the manager of the team whose hall of fame catcher started over him and was still there. I'd be like, can you imagine if in five years Matt Moore was hired as the head coach of the Kansas city chiefs, like anything that was ever called, if Patrick Mahomes just said, yeah, no, we're going to do this instead. Every player on the field would be like, all right, Pat, let's go, let's go run it. And nothing Matt Moore would said would ever matter. So I think a lot, I'm not giving Matheny a 100% pass away from any responsibility that he should have had in St. Louis. But a lot of that was everybody, like his teammates were still there and he was now managing. And so it's, it was a little bit of a weird dynamic, I think, where it would be really hard. Again, if Mike Matheny said, Hey, today we're going to do X, Y, Z. And, Yadier Molina said, no, we're going to do A, B, and C. Like, what What do you do if you're a player? Who are we going to listen to? Like, how are we going to handle anything if, and I'm not saying that did or did not happen. I just, like, it would be a really difficult task. So I think Matheny getting a fresh start in Kansas City, maybe we're seeing some of what his true colors really are, because this is what we've seen so far has been really good.
2: Two things. One, I'm not going to live for this Matt Moore slander. I saw him against Green Bay and he looked really good. Okay, so I'm not. I'm not going for that. No, but I, I see what you're saying. I think there was a lot of respect mutually between and, and Mike Matheny. I, re, I really think there was, specifically early. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I think in the story I wrote where I profiled Mike um, and it was like the re of Mike Matheny and I talked to a bunch of people he had worked with, had worked under, what what have you, in the past. The, the one paragraph that I think I, I wanted to highlight more than anything is like you throw in, Losing and and an organization that like the Cardinals that expects winning and you throw in the the pressure and you throw in all these spices and you just get a concoction that's just it it becomes a a ton. I mean, to handle to sort through it becomes a lot. And I just think with Mike Matheny, um, obviously circumstantially there was so much involved toward the end of of you, you got the media, you got certain things that just all thrown together makes it really hard, but I'm with you. I mean, I think I'm always for second chances. I'm always for fresh start. And um, look, 17 games in, the Royals are seven and 10 and, and Mike Matheny has has garnered the respect of every person that I've talked to in the organization. And so I, I think it's just truthfully a testament to a guy who whatever issues may have been the situation, whatever things he encountered he looked in the mirror and was like look i need to improve at x y and z and went about ways in which you do that it's not easy for everyone in our lives to kind of look in the mirror and be like i'm really bad at this so i'm going to go read seven books or do take this class to improve i mean it's not everyone's going to do that it's a testament to him and thus far it's 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 obviously paid off there's no there's no question yeah
0: i was out Curious. you've been with, with the Royals for a little over a season now, uh, you know, you started before you even graduated from the university of Missouri uh, as the beat writer for the for the Royals, for the athletic, I'm just wondering, you know, early on in your career, you know, has there ever been a moment even when, you know, internships and stuff like that where you've just kind of like been a little awestruck or just kind of had to sit back and go, wow, like I get to do this. I get to go to ballparks and talk about baseball and talk about players for a living. Like how cool is that?
2: So, I remember the first day of spring training this year. Um, the off season for me was was long. It's my first like off season where I'm working every day and and I like have these duties that aren't schoolwork and homework and and so it was it was such an interesting thing. And I remember the first day of spring training, 2020. Um, I remember walking, and it was like a chilly morning in Surprise, Arizona. And I was getting to the facility at like 7 a.m. And I, I just remember looking up and seeing like the Amos Otis and J- Big John Mabry and all their face, George Brett. And I was, it, for me, I'm a guy from Alabama, a suburban Alabama um, who grew up playing baseball, but it was never really my dream to cover baseball. But to be doing this at the, the highest level, truthfully, it, it, it really hit me in that moment. And I don't know if awestruck is the word, but it was really just grateful um, for the people that have helped me get here for the advantages I had. I've had being from a suburb in Alabama. Look, like I grew up with an ability to have a car at age 16. My parents, I mean, I was fortunate enough that that was a situation and I try not to take that stuff for granted ever. But um, I, that moment to me, I remember, I tweeted out, like, I don't take this for granted because I try not to. Um, It's a really, really uh, fulfilling job to be able to tell stories about people and what they have to overcome. And just to be around a a team that so many people in this region care about. I I, I really don't take it for granted. And it's every time I sit back and those questions are asked and I get to think about it, it really hits me. uh, And I wish I did it more but in the grind of a baseball season, it can get lost, I think. But I, I really am grateful for the entire process. And, and truthfully, also the way the Royals have kind of been open and honest with me at my age, with my experience, they've been, they've, they've, made things for me. They've allowed me to do my job, and that's really all you can ask.
0: Who's been your favorite person you've had the opportunity to interview?
2: Wow, that's tough. Um I think I've been asked this question or and this is gonna come across as someone who probably I don't know smile or smirk or whatever, but I, I will say, I mean, when I'm talking to Dayton Moore and listening to kind of his uh process, mindset, experience, anecdotes of the past, like I'm learning about the game and about people every single time. And I don't have to say I I, I just generally when I'm in a conversation with a guy like him it it um it opens my eyes to kind of certain blind spots that i may have truthfully and um i i'm I'm appreciative of someone like him at his age with his experience at his level taking time out to speak to a reporter like me it's 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 i i don't take that for granted either but i do feel like those types of conversations are where i learn the most and i know again that's probably cliche of course alec the general manager of the team you cover is the guy you're going to say, but that, that it is how I feel. But even these players, I mean, Royals fans probably have such an attachment, obviously, to so many of these guys. You know, I remember there in spring training, Salvador Perez was, like, laughing, joking around, and he, like, this is going to sound weird. But it, he had just gotten out of, like, a, a cryo chamber, some kind of cold thing. Like, Alec, can you, like, touch my elbow, feel how cold this is? I was like, this is really him. But it's just these guys are really good. Enjoyable people to be around that keep things fun, and and that's again you can ask for.
1: Alec, I got one more question for you. I'd be, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the, the current COVID situation. The Indians just sent, um, he's leading MLB in F War right now. Zach Pleasak, one of the best pitchers in baseball at the moment, they sent him home because he went out with his friends in Chicago. Um, you know, obviously if there's an organization we know is going to take this seriously, we, you know, the Royals are, there's, I I trust they're going to do the right thing all the time. They had a little bit of, I don't want to call it an outbreak. They did have a few cases early on, Valoria, O'Hearn, Dozier, um, Keller, Junis, right? So is there anything you can, I don't know, elaborate on in terms of all the precautions that are being taken and, what what do you have to go through every day when you get to the ballpark to start your job? Like, like how crazy has it been? Obviously, there's no fans in the stands, but just going through the process every single day just to be in the stadium, how how crazy has the precaution the, been? It's a lot.
2: I mean, reporter is is actually pretty easy. You get your temperature taken twice, and that's really it. I mean, I don't have to take tests. I don't have to do certain things that these players have to do. And I think I mean you mentioned Plesiac and the Indians taking this seriously and and, and truthfully uh, I mean I love watching Zach Plesiac pitch so it's um, it's unfortunate from that standpoint but to see an organization like that take things that seriously is what is going to be essential for this season to play through. And I think we all want to continue to watch baseball, right? Um you mentioned the Royals at the beginning of the season. I mean they dealt with kind of the brunt of it. I mean they it, I mean, I mentioned O'Hearn. We've talked about Dozier. We've talked about, I mean, Salvi too. Uh, what he's done at the plate after having tested positive and being in quarantine. It's 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 baffling, truthfully, but these guys go through tests, I believe, every two days. Um, they they're essentially bubbled away from of uh, real life. I mean, they're they're really not supposed to do anything, they're not supposed to leave their their apartments, their houses. It it is a um, yes they get paid an exorbitant amount of money to do the jobs that they do but um, to live their lives in that way. I, Whit Merrifield's talked a lot about the mental tax that it, it that is occurs when you're on the road in Cincinnati like they're going to be and you you really can't leave your hotel room and so you get to the park and you feel sluggish because you've been sitting around all day. Um, so it's it's been. Truthfully, as things have continued to go on, um, and you're wearing a mask in the press box every day, it kind of becomes somewhat of a normal thing. But, um, for the players and what they have to go through, it's, it's, it's eye opening to hear the experiences and will continue to be. And I, I just truthfully hope everybody can stay well. I mean, as, as best as possible and that we get baseball because it's, it's been fun. Um, obviously my job is, is what it is. It revolves around baseball, but I think the Royals organization with what they have done during the quarantine in the off season um, to kind of see the fruits of the labor of just the actual sport being back during this thing has been really cool. So I hope it continues and, and most importantly, everybody stays well. Truthfully.
0: So what, what has it been like? I got one more question after this, but this will kind of be the end of you know, the baseball, run. but what has it been like with no fans in the stands? You know, there was a decent home stand there at Kaufman. You know, you just see the little cardboard cutouts in San Diego. We've got Patrick Mahomes and Bob Kendrick sitting next to each other and all that. But with the you know, the pumped in crowd noise and has it how it's I don't know how to necessarily ask this, but what's it been like to just see an empty stadium but there would still be a ball game going
2: It's gonna sound like a weird answer probably, but the first night home opener was really odd i mean it, it was really odd to hear this noise but it's coming from speaker it was really, but truthfully like this past homestand and this weekend series against the twins I, I gotta be honest it it just felt fairly normal from my standpoint you show up to the park my eyes are trained on the field there's a little difference in terms like the, the Royals dugout was pretty audible and like celebration and emotion and certain things and that so that was pretty i guess different from just you could truly hear everything that they were saying you hear certain words that uh aren't supposed to make the telecast sometimes when players strike out so that part is interesting but but i mean and maybe this is me normalizing something that i shouldn't but i mean during the weekend in these twins games seeing brady singer on the mound it it just it felt like another day at the yard and maybe that was because of how focused I was just on the work or paying attention. Um, you could probably explain it in a million ways, but um, yeah, I don't, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating when, when you do step back from your computer and look around and see nobody there and the cutout sitting there, it, it is, it's incredibly odd. But I think as you get to this point, 17 games in, you distill it down to this is baseball and my eyes are trained on the field. That's kind of just what takes over truthfully.
0: I can't thank you enough for your time today. I know it's an off day. I know you've wanted to play golf, but I appreciate you taking a little bit of time with us today. We got one more question before we get, we get you out of here. We ask everyone in the interview, if you could go back and watch one moment in baseball history live in person, what would it
2: be? Wow. Um, I think for me, I would choose the, the, the wildcard game in 14. Um Having covered this organization for the last year plus and just hearing stories, being around, getting to know these people, I think it would be really cool to know what that felt like when I think about what could happen for the Royals in time, in two years' time, maybe at the end of this year. I don't know. But in terms of contention and what that feels like in a moment like that, I know hovers above kind of all else, I think would be really cool that's kind of the the answer that pops up off, off the top of my head. I think it would also be really cool to see the Negro Leagues players play in the Monarchs, so that would be kind of my second go there. But I think 14 wildcard for me, with the role that I have, to be there and get that environment would be would be awesome.
0: Surprisingly, I think that's the first time we've gotten that answer. So that's, that's pretty cool, and I, I'm with you. That's one of the best. Craziest baseball games I've, I've gotten the opportunity to watch. And, you yeah, my, my answer is I want to watch Satchel Page pitch. That's, like, the one thing. that Just because he was such a showman with it, too. Like, he would intentionally walk the bases loaded so he could strike the next
2: three guys out. Right?
0: That stuff was stupid.
2: It's funny. During the quarantine, I was kind of cooking up a Satchel Page look-back thing. <clears throat> I think on his maybe 50th year, something. I don't know. And I remember, like, looking up, has this been done before? And, of course. Mel and Jared wrote and like, written like an amazing column on it. And I was like, I don't know if I want to go at that. But no, yeah, Satchel, my dad, truthfully, growing up, loved Satchel Page. We always had certain things around the house. So I, I seeing those mo- him on the mono- just th- those days, I think, in those types of showmen would be just incredible. It, there's no doubt.
0: Well, Alec, thank you so much for those
2: that are listening that maybe haven't followed your work or follow you on social media. Where can they do that? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Alec underscore Lewis. Um, But really the more important place would be the athletic.com where we're doing, I don't know, usually 20 or so stories a month that hopefully are certain things that you can't get anywhere else. That's kind of the approach that I take with everything that I write. Um, And so, yeah, we are on the Royals, on the chiefs, anything you want, we've, we've probably got it. So theathletic.com would be the place to go but no I, I i appreciate you guys having me you guys do a really good job and have been a nice source for me to kind of educate myself during this year and a half of trying to get uh my bearings within this organization so um i appreciate you guys having me yeah, absolutely we'll definitely
0: need to have you on again at some point this season if there's another off day uh, you know after you get off the golf course if you think about it or you know anything else we'd love to have you back on again thank you very much
2: Awesome. Thanks, Joe.